0: to the fourth episode of Guidehouse Insights Plugged In podcast, where we do deep dives on energy industry topics. We are exploring a wide range of topics. We've covered um, AI in sustainable cities, and we've also covered smart home technology. This week, we're going to be talking about autonomous vehicles. Before we get into it, I'm Edie Wilson. I'm a research analyst with the Insights Transportation team. And this week we'll speak with Sam of about his report, Light Duty Automated Vehicles, Global Consumer and Commercial Market Forecasts. Along with his other report, it's a Guidehouse Insights leaderboard on automated driving systems. Sam has a really long bio. Um, He is a Senior Principal Research Analyst at Guidehouse Insights, and he heads our mobility team. With a focus on automated driving, mobility services, telematics, connectivity, cybersecurity, and advanced propulsion systems, Sam really helps clients understand the emerging technology trends and shape strategies around that. Sam was trained as a mechanical engineer, and before he joined Guidehouse, he had two decades of experience as a product development engineer in the automotive industry. He regularly contributes to publications, including Forbes Automotive Engineering, a lot of other publications. We won't list them all now because that would take a while. And with that, welcome, Sam.
1: Good morning, Edie. Good to be with you today.
0: Good to have you here. So before we get into all the nitty gritty, I want to get started with some quick definitions for listeners who might be less familiar with automated vehicles. How would you define? I guess it's a light-duty automated vehicle, which is what this report focuses on.
1: Sure. So, uh, vehicle automation is something that's been evolving for since the 1970s, really. So, going on you know more than four decades, uh, and it involves a spectrum of functionality that essentially is designed to. Uh, either augment or ultimately replace the human driver in the in the driving task. And it started off with features like, uh, fairly basic features like anti-lock brakes and cruise control, um, eventually evolved into things like traction control, electronic stability control. Today, we talk about advanced driver assist systems uh, that are, Features that you might know by name brands like GM Super Cruise or Ford's Blue Cruise, Nissan's ProPilot, that can that enable the the vehicle to do automatic lane centering and speed control while the driver the human driver continues to supervise. And then ultimately, at the the high end of the spectrum, we're looking at completely taking the driver out of the loop on the the driving task. Uh, that's where we get into fully automated vehicles. You may be familiar, you may have seen things like um, Waymo's, RoboTaxis, Cruise. Uh, In China, we've got Baidu. In Israel, we've got uh, Mobileye working on this stuff. There's a bunch of companies around the world that have been working on this stuff since the the mid-2000s, where it kicked off with the DARPA Grand Challenge program uh, that tried to incentivize teams to develop fully automated vehicles.
0: Oh, wow. Okay. So this is wild because or I don't know if wild is the right word, but this is interesting because I don't really think of cruise control as something that's an automated vehicle. I think of what you were talking about at the end of your description, more of the taking the human out of the equation other than them sitting in the car. My understanding is that your report focuses on level four vehicles. What does that mean? Where is that in the spectrum of full automation versus not Quite
1: as automated. Right. So, the the Society of Automotive Engineers, uh, back about uh, a little more than a decade ago, SAE develops uh, standards for industry standards for a wide variety of things in the automotive industry, including things like charging connectors, test standards for testing towing. One of the things that they developed uh, about a decade ago was a taxonomy to define assisted and automated driving systems. And that taxonomy, you know, those, those levels that you may have heard of range from, it's six levels ranging from level zero, uh, because this was developed by engineers. So they always start from zero uh, Mm -hmm. to level five. Level zero means that there are no assists, no automation systems at all in the vehicle. The driver does everything. And that's, you know, kind of older vehicles that don't have anything like ABS or, or any kind of other assist systems. Level five is a vehicle that is capable of operating on its own without any human oversight or human supervision or, or intervention under all driving conditions where, where a human driver could go. That is something that, while it is kind of the ultimate goal uh, to get to, is probably not something we're going to see anytime time in the foreseeable future, probably not, probably not before the mid-2030s at the earliest. Level four is a step down from that. So level four is a system where the vehicle is capable of completely driving itself. You just tell it where to go, and then it figures out the best route to get there, executes the full driving task without any human being involved in that driving task. The, the limitation on that is it's limited to a specific, what we call operational design domain. So these are constraints on where and when it can operate. So level five for level five the odd is everywhere all the time. Okay. Level four, those constraints might be based on location. So for example, in San Francisco, you have Cruise robo taxis that are running around, and they currently operate running paid commercial services in about one third of the city in the northwest side of the city. They could also be constrained based on time. Again, those those Cruise vehicles. I'll use as an example. They operate those paid rides between 10 p.m. and 5.30 a.m. Could be restricted based on weather. The restrictions can be literally anything. What, whatever the engineers developing this decide are the limits of the system. Within those constraints, though, you don't have to have anybody in the vehicle. An important consideration, though, is that a level four or a level five vehicle does not necessarily mean it may or may not have a steering wheel. It, it You could have a vehicle that a human can drive on a regular basis, but that has the capability to completely take over control. And the driver can just hand off and they don't have to pay any attention. They can take a nap, climb in a backseat, whatever, or not even be in the vehicle at all. But it could be either human or automated control.
0: Okay. I wanna get into drivers and barriers, but I do have a question about this when you're talking about being constrained based on areas, so with the San Francisco example portion of the city, and then based on time, are some of those restrictions, are they more from the engineering side or more from the regulatory side? The government saying they want to make sure these things are safe before.
1: It could be either or both. Over the last decade, as companies have been developing this technology, uh, they have generally restricted, the engineers have restricted themselves to based on what they feel that they, this, where the system can operate safely. And oftentimes they'll have different uh, ODDs, that operational design domain, based on whether there's a safety driver in the vehicle, a safety operator, mm-hmm. or whether they're operating completely driverless. So for example, I'll use San Francisco because there's a number of companies that operate in that area, including Waymo, Zoox, and, and others. For the paid driverless service where there is no safety driver in the vehicle anybody can use the cruise app summon a ride just like you would with an uber or lyft or or a taxi using curb app or something else they can summon a ride comes to pick them up they get in there's nobody in the car and they just get in the car takes them to their destination they get out and then the car goes off and picks up somebody else but cruise also has vehicles that are operating in other parts of the city and, and this is for testing purposes. So um, they have vehicles that operate in all of San Francisco, some of them without safety drivers, some of them with safety drivers. You know, and that may be based on they're testing some new experimental software that they haven't validated yet, or they're trying out some new sensors or any number of things that could be reason why they want to have somebody in there ready to take back control if need be.
0: Okay. Now I want to get into the drivers and barriers. So what's driving the development of these automated vehicles?
1: So there's, there's a number of factors um, that led to this. You know, the, the original DARPA program was the military funded that uh, with the intent of trying to be able to develop vehicles that could deliver supplies or go into areas where it might be very risky uh, to send troops in there. And so they wanted to have automated vehicles that could help support that. So they, they put fewer people at risk. Over time, you know, once the DARPA program ended and companies like Google and automakers like General Motors and, and others stepped in and started to say, okay, let's, let's take this and com- try and commercialize this technology. Now you're looking at factors. First of all, there's safety. Human error is a factor. In most crashes, you know, you often hear the cause of 94% of crashes. That's not entirely accurate. It's one of, it's typically one of many factors that lead to crashes. One of the things that causes crashes is people driving when they're drowsy or they're distracted or they're impaired. All of these things can, can lead to crashes in addition to mechanical problems and so on. And we have over 40,000 fatalities a year on American roads. And over one point two million globally, so safety is a huge factor, just as it was for the military. You know, but here it's it's about you know trying to reduce the number of crashes. Theoretically, automated systems would never get distracted; they would never drive drunk. Um, you know, they're they're never going to have a, a physical impairment. Another factor is enabling mobility for more people, personal mobility. If if you are elderly or if you're young. Or if you have some sort of physical impairment that prevents you from being able to drive, having the freedom of movement is still important to people, no matter whether you're able to drive or not. And so with automated vehicles, you have the potential to enable mobility for more people, to let them have some freedom uh, to go out and and do things and and live their life. Congestion is another one. You know, the way drivers behave in congested areas is is a challenge. Environmental. You can program an automated driving system to drive more efficiently and more consistently than a human driver might, uh, so you can reduce energy consumption. Parking is a big one.
0: Yeah.
1: In the United States, there are seven and a half parking spaces for every car, and we have 290 million vehicles registered in the United States. So that's a lot of wasted space. If you look at a lot of urban centers as much as a quarter to a third of the landmass in many urban centers is dedicated to storing cars that aren't doing anything. Yeah. Most people use their cars at most one to two hours a day. And most of the time they're idle. So if we can shift people from personal vehicle ownership to using shared automated vehicles, you can enable that mobility I talked about in a safe way. Um, you can reduce the need for parking, reduce energy consumption, and, all that landmass that we were using to store cars can now be repurposed for other things like providing more residential space, more parkland, uh, more commercial space that can be uh, provide other societal benefits. Uh, so, all of these are some of the main drivers for a shift to automation.
0: Yeah. And I know living in DC parking spots are very contentious. And I think in cities in general, there's now been a push to repurpose parking spots for more micro mobility resources. Uh But of course, then you're like, do you have enough for the cars? So I can see that as a big driver. Also, as someone who does not enjoy parking um, a vehicle.
1: (laughs) Well, you know, one one of the the things that people don't realize is as much as 20% of the energy used in ground transportation, you know, for, for personal vehicles is used while just trolling around trying to find a parking space.
0: That's wild. Yeah,
1: you know, it's not actually getting you from your origin to your destination. It's once you get to your destination, just driving around, trying to find a place to park. So if we can eliminate that, then, you know, you, right there, you eliminate a, a significant chunk of the energy we use for transportation.
0: Yeah. Well, now we've talked about all the good things pushing this forward. What are the, the barriers?
1: So several things, you know, obviously the, the technical maturity, of these systems we are talking about um, replacing humans and with automated systems and so that means you have to have sensors that can detect the world around the vehicle and then you have to have software that can take the signals from those sensors and interpret it to try to get an understanding of the environment around the vehicle and then plan a safe path through that environment as you're driving that actually turns out to be a really difficult task because computers and software don't work the same way as the human brain does. You know, The human brain has evolved to, um, to be able to perceive the world around us and understand the things that, that we see and make judgments about that in ways that we've made a lot of progress, but we still don't really know how to completely replicate that in software. If you you can break down the task of automated driving into kind of four main parts, you know you can actually break it down, in infinite granularity. But there's four main components to it. The first part is perceptions. I said, taking the sensor signals and looking at okay, what is around me. The next part is prediction. Once you've de- once you've determined what's around you, then you have to determine you have to predict what those other agents in that environment are going to do in the next three to five seconds. The next step is path planning, figuring out, okay, what is the path I'm going to take through this environment? And then finally, control, deter, controlling the actuators to make the car stop, go stop and steer through and follow that path. Perception and prediction turn out to be a lot harder than we thought. Yeah, Because you know, even with the progress we've made on image classification, you know, machine learning, the computers still frequently make mistakes and misclassify the objects around us. They don't have the same kind of capability to understand the environment that we inherently do from the time we are infants, you know, uh, to un- to perceive the world around us. Software still has trouble with that, and the computing power required to do that reliably is enormously difficult, or is, is enormously energy intensive and costly. So it's it's taking a lot longer to develop this and and mature this technology. The other part of this is ensuring the system is actually safer than human drivers because there's not much point in doing this unless we can actually make it at least as safe and preferably orders of magnitude safer than human drivers that actually turns out to be really hard to do because as i mentioned before you know there's a statistic people often cite 94 percent of crashes are caused by human error that's only partly true in the united states for example we drive over 3 trillion miles a year a lot. So this is a task that we do a lot. And on average, we have about six and a half million crashes. We have a crash about once every half a million miles on average for the average driver. And if you're driving 15,000 miles a year, that works out to about once every 30 years for the average driver. Now, some people crash more than that. Some people crash less than that, but on average about once every 30 years. So given the complexity of driving, The fact that we, on average, only crash once every 30 years is pretty remarkable. Now, we do this a lot. So in in aggregate, we have a lot of crashes. But the frequency of those crashes, given how much we do this, is actually really small. And that makes it really hard to develop an automated system that can be even that good. And so proving that these systems are as safe, preferably safer than human drivers is, is proving to be very, very difficult. Uh, and that's why, you know, we have these restricted ODDs right now, you know, trying to focus on areas where we think we can make it better than humans, and improve on safety and, and address these other drivers that we were talked about earlier, and then eventually expand that ODD to hopefully get to everywhere, but it's going to take time to get there.
0: Yeah, of course. You've mentioned some of the major players just in the other questions. I know Waymo came up. Who are, I guess, like players that you're watching over the next decade who you think are going to be really significant in the AV space?
1: So if you, if you go back about five or six years, there were many dozens of companies in this uh, sector trying to develop automated driving systems, you know, as, much, as many as 100 or more. And we always expected that there would be a consolidation. And that has started to happen over the last couple of years uh, as it has taken longer to get to technical maturity. And we've been tracking the leading companies in this space. And most of the leading companies are still roughly the same ones we've been tracking for the better part of the last uh, eight or nine years. We publish our annual automated driving leaderboard report Um, this year. The top four companies, the companies we ranked as leaders in the segment, are Mobileye, uh, number one, mm-hmm. Waymo, Baidu, and Cruise. Uh, Mobileye is um, majority owned by Intel, and uh, they're based in Israel, and they've been a leader in the ADAS space, the, the driving assistance space, um, since the, the mid-2000s uh, when they debuted their, their camera-based driver assist systems. And then Waymo is uh, a subsidiary of Alphabet, the parent company of, of Google. It's it was it started off as the Google self driving car project. Cruise is a company that is owned by majority owned by General Motors, along with Honda and a few other investors. And then Baidu is a Chinese company, uh, but there are a number of other Chinese companies as well in this space, like AutoX, Pony AI, plus and 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 several others. Baidu, it, their parent company. Much like Google, they are the leading search engine in China. Uh, They're very, very much into advertising and and cloud services. Uh, So they're, they're very much analogous to, to Google Alphabet Waymo um, in the Chinese market. And they are very clearly, I think the leader there and, and one of the leaders globally.
0: Yeah. Yeah. When I think of Baidu, I think of the maps um, because when I was living in Beijing, I used the Baidu maps, not necessarily car. Um, So These companies you were mentioning, they're located kind of all over the place. You mentioned Israel, China, um, obviously U.S.-based with Alphabet. Are there regional differences in how fast um, AV technology is being deployed, how it's being deployed, that sort of thing? Can you speak to, to, I guess, the different regions?
1: Yeah, I would say that right now the two leading regions are very much uh, the U.S. and China for pilot deployments and the number of companies that are involved in this sector. All of these are are global companies, but we have, the the lar- I would say, the largest number of programs, test programs going on here in the U.S., roughly comparable in, in China as well. There are a number of companies, including Baidu, AutoX, and others that are running both Uh, ride-hailing services and delivery services in several different Chinese cities, including Beijing, uh, Shanghai, Guangzhou, and a few others. In here in the U.S., you know, we've got uh, deployments across a number of mostly southern and western cities, you know, from San Francisco, Silicon Valley area, Las Vegas, Arizona, Texas, primarily, again, good weather conditions, makes it a little easier, uh, you know, not having to deal with winter weather. Longer term, um, we do expect that China will be far and away the largest market for this technology. The Chinese government you know, has been very supportive of developing this uh, technology you know, because of the, the population there and the size of many of the, the cities there. Traffic congestion is a real issue, and being able to reduce the number of vehicles and get people moved into, into shared mobility services and preferably automated, provides a lot of benefits to the Chinese market. So they're, they've been very supportive of it, and we do expect the Chinese market to be the, the largest market, followed by North America and Europe.
0: Okay. I guess for one last question, are there any really major trends that you'd want to highlight over the next t- 10 years, and anything you'd like to add that we didn't speak about yet?
1: Yeah. So, you know, the, the biggest trend is we're going to continue to see. I mean, today, if you look globally, the number of AVs, you know, numbers in the, the low thousands, you know, maybe two to three thousand globally, you know, between China North America, Europe, you know, across all these different companies uh, and a handful of different pilot uh, commercial uh, deployments so far over the next five years or so five six years we will continue to see that gradually increasing uh you know even this year uh since since last september cruise for example uh was operating they launched a commercial paid service in san francisco in june of last year september they announced that they were going to expand into phoenix and austin uh which they did by the end of the year they again now recently announced expansions into dallas and houston Waymo is expanding into more cities. Motional is going to be, is planning to launch driverless services in several cities uh, starting this year. Uh, we're going to see more in China. So we'll see that gradually expanding. And then in the latter part of the decade, we expect to see it start to accelerate more mm-hmm. as the technology continues to mature, as they figure out the business models and they're able to start scaling this up. Uh, then we'll, we'll see the, the number of deployments increase. And we'll also start to see some of these technologies uh, migrating from the shared mobility services into personal use vehicles as well. So things like uh, level four highway driving, where you can be on a long road trip, you engage your level four system, and then you can sit back and relax. You don't have to watch the road like you do with Super Cruise or Blue Cruise today. You can take a nap, read a book, watch a video, whatever that might be. So that and then deliveries as well. And, And goods movement. Uh, We didn't talk about automated trucking. Automated trucking, we expect to also be one of the major uh, applications for automated driving systems, especially on long haul routes, particularly here in North America and China. A lot of long haul routes uh, where you've got a lot of long straight highways. It's hard to recruit truck drivers. People don't want to drive long haul trucks. And so we expect that to be a major, uh, major area of deployment for this technology.
0: Yeah. And of course, there's so many other aspects of this market we could talk about, but the reports go into that detail. So if you're interested in it, download the reports. Thanks so much, Sam, for joining the podcast. If you're listening, like I said, be sure to check out the AV reports we have on GuideHouseInsights.com. And to keep up to date with this podcast, of course, feel free to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And We look forward to you joining us again next month. We have more experts to talk about all the energy topics. Um, And thanks again to Guidehouse Insights for providing the platform. And with that, we're done.